So this wall that you see represents, um, it should represent, it will represent for the next uh, eight weeks, a two-month series, um, the, any parts of our individual lives, two areas, parts of our individual lives that are broken or in disarray and need repair. As you'll see, this wall is broken. It's, it's not fully together. It looks uh, old and decrepit, and we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to um, rebuild it. Uh, what you got on your seat when you walked in should have been a card that should somewhat look like a brick. It resembles um, our bricks that we're going to begin to rebuild this wall based on what God might reveal in our hearts. And each week, we're going to um, have a specific area of our life that we are going to uh, call you to commit yourself to uh, grow in, to be built back up by God's strength in that area of your life. And we will view as a visual picture this wall begin to be rebuilt as we, as an illustration and symbolically um, seeing ourselves as being rebuilt in the gospel of Jesus. And so, um, it's kind of exciting. Uh, I do want to give uh, credit to uh, st- uh, st- uh, Stephanie Sylvester. She spent countless hours, upwards of over 20 hours, uh, creating this, painting this. Um, and so she's not here today. They're away for the weekend, but I um, want to give her credit for that. She's um, a, a great saint to our church and spent a lot of time on this. And um, I think it came out really well. So um, we are hoping that this will be covered, though. Our hope is that, and we told her that to begin with, we said, we know you're going to spend a lot of time, and at the end of it, we're not even going to see it. Because the point is, is that we want to cover it with, with the bricks of our lives as we begin to see our lives rebuilt in the gospel of Jesus. Amen? You guys ready for this? I said, are you guys ready for this? Okay. All right, good. There you go. All right, so... Um, I'm both pumped and burdened. I have to be honest. I'm pumped about this series and I'm also burdened by it. Um, I'm pumped because I truly believe that when God's people have the potential to be moved by God's spirit, something radical happens. Amen. When, when we have the opportunity to hear from God and be infused with what he wants us to know about him and to, be, um, and to have him birth something new in our life, something crazy can happen, not only in your life, but even in the life of our church. And so that's really what we're going to be looking at, how our individual lives um, build up and equip the life of our church, meaning living word, um, which also will build up and equip the, the church universal or the, the church of all Christians all over the world. Um, I'm burdened, though, because of what the Holy Spirit has already revealed revealed in my life, has already revealed in my time of study, has already revealed in the time that I've spent um, looking at the scriptures that we're going to go over today um, to kind of just get us into this idea of what it might look like for us to be rebuilt in, in Christ. And uh, the reason why is because he's revealed to me that there are, there are parts of me um, that if I don't, if they continue, could potentially hinder our church from growing. He's revealed parts of me, parts of my attitude, parts of my ego, parts of my life, parts of my reluctancy, parts of my laziness, parts of whatever it is inside of me. He has said, if you want this place to grow and keep growing and impact your community more and more and more, if you really are, because when we sit in uh, Pastor Barton's office and we started to articulate this, um, we started to kind of hash out ideas and just throw everything on the table and think, what do we want this to look like? The biggest thing we wanted to have this do is to, is to draw us together as a family and so that we can impact our community together. So that's the joy that we have, but that means that each individual person will probably have, if we allow the Holy Spirit to do it, will probably reveal on an individual basis what it is about each one of us that could hinder that, and he's already started that in me. So as I speak to you this morning, I'm speaking from both an excited and burdened um, 
pastor for this church um, because of just what God has already asked of me. And I have to confess that unless we submit, unless I submit those parts of myself to him, unless I confess those parts of myself to him, unless I repent of those uh, parts uh, to him, then uh, I will remain in the same place as I am now, potentially hindering our growth. And so I would um, love to see all of us be transparent with God. All of us open ourselves up to God. So um, we're going to be looking at a pretty foundational aspect of the Christian faith this morning, the church. What is the church? You and me, us, together, uh, universal. The church is all Christians all over the world. Um, if you've been coming here at any length of time, you know that we do not believe that the church is a building. The church are not these walls. In fact, you are not going to church on Sunday morning, even though as much as I believe that and as much as, or as much as I say that, I don't actually believe it. Even though I say to Carrie, my wife, I'll say, we're going to church, or we tell Cohen, we're going to church, you're going to go to church. That's not actually true. We are the church. We're coming together with the church. We are partnering with the church. We are, um, we are meeting together as the church. Um, and we are simply coming to a building uh, called Living Word Assembly of God in Ontario, New York, that happens to be a local body of the church. So we're going to, with the Holy Spirit's leading, possibly have some layers pulled back on our hearts. And we're going to see what happens. Now, perhaps some of you um, have been going to church, maybe not this church, but a church for a long time, and you're hesitant to get knee-deep into the workings of a church and, 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 uh, and join a church or, or really get involved in a church, uh, maybe because of some past horrible experience. And so you're okay with kind of sitting on the, on the sidelines, letting the rest of the church do the work. Um, I would say that is not what God has called you to do. God has called you to be part of something big, which is the local church. Perhaps some of you are cautious to join a church because of something you've heard about church life. You've, maybe you've been burned yourself or you've heard of things. Perhaps some of you are, are ready to jump in. You're, you're like, man, I've been coming here for a long time and, and I don't know where it is that I can serve, but I'm ready, eager and willing and ready to go. You just tell me where to serve and I'll serve. That's awesome. And we will um, hopefully find a place for you um, if that's you. And uh, our vision for this series is that God would draw us closer together as his people assembled here at Living Word. L check this out. This is what our, this, these, are the, these are the main things that as we began to talk in, in, in Pastor Barton's office, that our compassion would be deeper, that our compassion for each other would be deeper, our forgiveness would be evident, our forgiveness would be evident, that our, and our relentless pursuit to cherish protect and care for one another at any cost, even to ourselves, would scream to those watching from the outside, there's something crazy going on in that place, and I want in. That's our joy. That's our vision. The reason why I said God has already burdened me because he's asked, he's asked me hard questions. Mike, are you actually compassionate? Are you really as compassionate as you might think you are? Mike, are you actually as forgiving as you think you are? Mike, are you actually cherishing and protecting and caring for the flock as much as you think you are? Have you done it at any cost to yourself? Is there anything you're trying to protect that has, that has hindered the church from growing in these areas because you're protecting a part of you that I've asked you to give up, that I've asked to die when you came to me, Mike? That part of you died, and, and unless it remains dead, it won't scream to the world. There's something crazy going on. It'll scream to the world. There's something useless going on there. And I don't really care about joining it. 
To be honest, I don't really know what to anticipate in this series. Uh, many times you can kind of look at a series and you can kind of think, this is what I, be- I think might begin to happen. I really have no idea because I don't know what God's going to do in each one of your individual hearts and lives as we work through this. I don't know what God's going to call you out of. I don't know how far off you are and what God is going to reveal to us in these eight weeks. I don't know um, what parts of you are going to have to completely be shattered and die and where God's going to have to break us and where he's going to have to break you. I don't know. I also don't know how much you're, how much you're going to lock heels in and me, I'll put me, how much we as individuals are going to lock our heels in when he says and reveals something to us that needs to change about us. How much, how reluctant will we be to that change? I don't know how each person in this place will respond to the Holy Spirit. But in all honesty, I'll say it's right out scary. Straight up scary. Because unless we find ourselves at the feet of Christ, asking him to forgive the parts of us that need forgiveness, and asking him to change the parts that need changing, we'll just stay exactly where we are. So let's get into this and let, let's let God have his way, all right? Um, I don't know who, has anybody ever played tennis? Tennis players out there, anyone? Yeah? Um, I played tennis in high school and um, I was okay. There's this kid on our team, however, who um, happened to, I don't know if this is you, but um, he went uh, kind of crazy sometimes when someone would be beating him, his opponent would be beating him. He would smash, I don't know how many rackets he went through each season. He would smash his rackets on the ground. I've thrown a racket or two in the air in frustration. Ah, I don't know, throw it in the air. This dude, we're at a tournament. And now when you're playing high school tennis, you are calling your own shots, okay? You don't, you don't, there's not enough people, um, you know, officiating the matches to be able to have one person for each court making sure that every call that we make is right. So we're basically calling our own shots. So if I look at something, I can say in or out, you know, and you, hopefully you're using the honor system. Hopefully the person is being honest. Well, uh, this guy on our team, he was suspicious that the opponent, his opponent at this tournament, was consistently calling shots out that were in and that thus, you know, perpetuating his own score and leaving this, our teammate in the dust. And so he was getting frustrated. And then he started screaming at the kid. He's like, are you kidding me? I can't say what he said because I love Jesus. So, um, but he, he would yell at the kid and scream at the kid and say all these things. And then he'd kind of, he'd just, you know, mumble to himself and he'd walk back. And, and the more and more this happened, the, the more frustrated he would get. And to the point where at one point he came completely unglued. The kid called a shot out. It ended well, one of the sets, moving them into the second set. And um, he took his racket and he just started smashing the ground. I, th- I, call, it, I call it psychotic. This is called tennis uh, a psychotic episode in tennis. He started smat, he's swearing up a storm. He flips off the coach of the other team. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, okay? He's out of control. And so, um, but here's an interesting thing that happened. Our coach finding, discovering this craziness happening, goes over, pulls our teammate off the court. Um, we, we, he, he forfeits his um, round. He says, we're forfeiting that. We're giving you that round. I'm not letting him play if he's going to act like that kind of thing. And so that loss cost us the tournament. So we lost the tournament. His win, um, had he won, would have, um, you know, maybe benefit, would have, we would have won. Uh, and so it was a big deal to us. So we go to our coach afterwards and we're like, coach, why would you pull him out? Why couldn't you just put someone there and make sure that what's, he's, he was, you know, obviously he's frustrated because that person seemed like they were cheating. And he said, there's something more important than a winning record. He goes, I don't want our school to go home and have a reputation be that that's okay. I thought that was kind of interesting. He said, he said, really basically, um, 
My coach didn't exist to make me look good, but he invested his wisdom and insights in us so that we could participate in making our school stand out. And he didn't want us to stand out in that way. He didn't want us to go places and go to different schools and know that even if we had the best winning record and we were number one in the state, it didn't matter if our, if our reputation was at stake. It didn't matter if our reputation was at stake. Now, there's somebody's reputation who's at stake when it comes to the body of Christ. Do you know whose reputation is at stake when it comes to the body of Christ? Who? Jesus. His reputation is at stake. And he calls us, he says, I need, your, I need my people to work together. I need my people to, to work together, to be on a common goal, on a common track, in a common direction, aiming for the same thing at the same time, for the same reasons, in the same way, collectively, not individually, but collectively. I love the body of Christ. I love the local church. I think that the local church is one of the most glorious things that you can be part of. Not because it's perfect, but because it's, very, it's filled with imperfect people who serve a perfect God and can do amazing things because of who Jesus is. But we're going to look at the question today. We're going to have to go all the way back to the most fundamental question you can ask yourself. Every person on earth considers this at some point in their life. And the answer is, or the question is, why are we here? If you're a Christian, then you believe, hopefully, if you're a Christian, then you believe that God created you. You weren't a happen chance. You weren't, you weren't by some chance that the cosmic um, you know, universe accidentally came together and had just enough of this and just enough of this element and came together and formed something and then we've evolved into what we have today. If you believe that God is real and you believe that Jesus has saved you and you believe that Jesus died on a cross and that you are, you are securing your eternity because of him and you're a Christian, you're a Jesus follower, then you believe that God created you, which means that there is a purpose behind the creation and it is not because God was lonely. God was perfectly settled in his, in his relationships with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in perfect unity all the time. Perfect unity all the time. And they are not missed. They, are, they do not need anything. They, have, they are perfectly relationally bonded. They didn't need us. So God created us for a different reason. So I'm going to just read some verses and maybe you'll figure out why God created you. And maybe if you didn't know this before, it could blow your mind. So Revelation 4.11 says this, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. So God is pleased in his creation of you and me and everyone. He's pleased that he made you. If you've ever asked yourself, why was I born, God? Why do I have to live this life? God was pleased to create you. Don't ever mistake the fact that God made you on purpose for a purpose. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Colossians 1, 16, For through him, meaning Christ, for through Christ God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Christ and for Christ. Romans 11.36 says it probably most eloquently. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And I love James 1.18. says, He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we out of all creation became his prized possession. Out of everything God ever created, 
as large as every planet and as small as every molecule, every single thing that God created, you and I are as his favorite. We, he looks at us and he says, that's my prized possession. If I were to put anything up for, you know, to, to, to highlight how amazing my creation ability is, it's you and me. Isn't that crazy? Out of everything that we're impressed by, everything about the world that impresses us, when we look at the stars and we're wowed, God says, no, 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 you're what wows the, the stars. You're, you and I are what makes everything else look second because God has created us for a very specific purpose. Do you realize that you and I are the only ones that God ever created that can have a relationship with him? Do you know what comes along with that? You and I are the only ones that can say no. Rocks can't say no to God. Stars can't say no. Planets don't say no. Molecules don't say no. Oxygen doesn't say no. Grass doesn't say no. Animals don't say no. Humans are the only thing that can say no to God. That makes our existence and our relationship unique. So clearly, God does not exist for my happiness. If you're writing anything down on that sheet we gave you, this would be something you could write down. Clearly, God does not exist for my happiness, but I exist to reveal his holiness. If we don't start there, there's going to be something pretty distorted about the rest of our spiritual lives. This means our ultimate goal as his ultimate creation is to bring or give God ultimate glory. In order to grasp this, though, we have to ask ourselves, have you ever ever read something a million times and you never ask yourself the question and then someone asks the question and you're like, how come I never knew that? Let me ask you this question. What does it mean to give God glory? What is glory? As we read it in the Bible, if you've read the Bible, you read it all the time. It's all over the place. I only picked four verses, but it's all over the place. The Bible is filled with with scriptures that talk about giving God glory. And the big question is, okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the word glory as related to God in the Old Testament deals with his greatness of splendor. It's acknowledging his greatness. It's acknowledging that he is great and and I am not that he has ultimate rule and power and majesty over everything that's ever been created. Of everything that exists, nothing deserves our acclaim, attention, worship, honor, and praise more than him. In the New Testament, the word translated glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. So let's put those together. You ready? Here's a a healthy definition of, of what it means to glorify God. Glorifying God means to acknowledge his greatness and honor him by our praise and worship of him, primarily because he and he alone deserves to be praised, honored, and worshiped. We don't glorify God. We don't bring God honor and glory and praise so that we can get something from him. We simply do it because that's what he deserves. Does that make sense? It's a healthy, sobering thing to think about that when I give God glory, I'm praising, honoring, and giving him um, acclaim. I'm making him worth the most in my life. Worship is worthship. Whatever is worth the most to you will get all of your heart. When God means the most to you, he will receive your worship naturally. This, however, is only the beginning. I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet that so far you've probably mistaken, mistakenly limited your thinking to an individual basis. You see, we're prone and perhaps even taught um, to think in terms of ourselves as it relates to our spiritual lives. But God does not see us as persons. He sees us as a people. All throughout scripture, God very rarely speaks to us as one person. Very rarely does God speak when he's speaking um, to priests or he's speaking to people. He's usually speaking to groups of people expected to carry out his name. 
So check out Ephesians 2.19. It says this, So now you Gentiles who are just non-Jewish people back then, um, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of the God's holy people for you are, God, you are members of God's family. You are part of the family of God and I am the weird uncle, so deal with it. Okay? We are all part of one big, gigantic, dysfunctional, crazy family. There's one thing that you never do with family. You can make fun of, you ever, you ever have a, who's got siblings that are kind of close to age with, in you, with you? Okay, now when you were growing up, you were allowed to make fun of each other, right? But as soon as someone else entered the picture and started mocking, oh, time out. I can push them down the stairs and yell at them. You, my friend, cannot, right? There's some kind of bond that somehow, for some reason, gives us the, the privilege and the ability to totally demolish and crush our, our family. But when someone else on the outside starts to get in on that, no, time out. I don't think so. If I can ask you as God's family, I need to ask you something. I need you to see this church as your family of God. I need you to see yourself as part of a family that needs you. You are part of a family that needs you. We don't walk away from our family. We don't disown our family. We don't give up on our family. Even when our family is the, at its lowest, even when part, pre- people in our family are making the most horrendous and heinous mistakes, we don't give up on them. We pray and we find ourselves in tears and we find ourselves in places that we would not find ourselves in any other relationship because they're our family. And God wants to see us in the same way. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear about certain things that our family here, it is bigger and better and more potent than even uh, blood families. It says, father will, son will give up father and daughter will give up mother and to follow me. You are part of God's family. If I, could, I, I want, if I could share with you one thing from my heart, don't give up on your family. Cherish and protect and be compassionate toward your family. And if, it's, if it helps you to think like this, that's what God has commanded us to do. It's not an option. You are part of this family. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you are a part of it. We do whatever it takes if a part of our own physical body is, some, if something's wrong with it, we don't amputate our finger with a hangnail, right? We don't say, ah, I can't do that anymore. Throw it off. We don't do that. The last thing we do is amputate. That's a last resort. If there's something wrong with our body, we take fluids and medications and we go to the hospital and we, we try to fix it before we remove it, Right? The last thing we do is remove it. That's the last thing you do. You do not amputate or remove parts of your body unless it has to be done because it is dangerous to exist in your body unless it will infect and and disease the rest of your body. Other than that, we'll do whatever it takes to keep it. Can I ask you for a favor? Can I ask you to do whatever it takes for you to see the parts of this body of Jesus as just like that? that none of them are as expendable as we might think, that none of them deserve to be ostracized from you personally and us corporately. I have to ask you for that. You are Christ's body, and the last thing we do is amputate. You are part of God's family, and the last thing we do is abandon our family. 
Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, Now these are the gifts God gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So the body of Christ is the church. The church is not this building. The church is the body of Christ. Now check this out. Colossians 1.18 says the church is where Christ is established. I want to I show you how, how potent and how, how um, powerful the church is. I want you to see how God looks at the church. Colossians 1.18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Christ is the head. He is in charge. He's the CEO. He's the, he, he's the man with the plan. We go to everything to him. He is in charge of everything. He's in charge of our individual lives. He's in charge of our ministries. He's in charge of our, in charge of our leaders. He's in charge of our leadership. He's in charge of our deacons. He's in charge of everything. He is the ultimate authority. And I can tell you right now that this church will unapologetically never depart from looking to Jesus for our ultimate authority. We will never go to any other source but the one that he tells us to, which is scripture called the Bible. We will never go anywhere else. The Bible will stand firm and the day it does is the day I leave. The day that this place stops, stops preaching the gospel out of scripture, the Bible, I will leave. It, will be, it won't be what God has asked us to do and I will, not, I will refuse to be a part of it. But I will not walk away when it looks messy. I will not walk away when it looks dysfunctional because you're my family and you're my body. You see, only hearts that have been transformed by the grace of God and radically committed to Jesus are equipped to hear and discern the heart of God. Christ is the head of the church. Do you realize that we're the only ones God can use? Not in living word sense, but globally, Christians are the only ones God can use because we're the only ones that have the Holy Spirit living in us. And that sounds so arrogant. To, to someone who's not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you're on the other side of this and you're just checking church out, um, not to make it sound like we've got it all together because we don't, but we are the only ones equipped because we have the Holy Spirit to be able to hear and discern the heart of God. The church is where Christ unleashes his power. It says also um, in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, I pr also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Jesus. The only people that will receive the power of God are those that have been given the Spirit of God. So we're the only ones capable of doing that which God has asked. Now check this out. The church is where God pours out his wisdom. God's purpose in all this, Ephesians 3.10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. In its rich variety we are very different. Some of you more different than others. But we are all different. And it says in its rich variety, God does not intend for us to be the same type of person. He intends for us to have the same common goal. So if we're trying to change people into cookie cutter cut, uh, cutouts of what we believe we should be, we have missed the point because God says his purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom. His wisdom is displayed through us or it's not, but we're it. We're either displaying his wisdom or displaying our own folly in its rich variety to the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now this is where the rubber meets the road. If our ultimate goal as believers in Jesus is to give God glory, 
if our ultimate goal is to acknowledge him as great and to, and to, cry, and to scream that out to the world, God, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Glory to him where? In the church. The church is where God receives his glory. Let me read this quote by Timothy Savage in a, a little uh, book called The Church, God's New People. It says this, It is the most strategic body of people on the face of the planet. Through its ministries, vast tracts of humanity are rescued from evil and lifted from despair. And by its voice, new life is proclaimed to entire civilizations. It is an association of people that pulsates with the glory of God. What human gathering could possibly warrant such accolades? Only one qualifies, the church of Jesus Christ. It's the most strategic body of people on the face of the planet. We do not exist for each other alone. We exist for the body of Christ. We do not exist so that our lives on an individual basis, you see, we think of things like morning devotions, it's about us. We think of things as prayer lives, it's about us. A lot of things about our own spiritual lives is very isolated and very um, individualistic, but God has clearly made a point to show that we are in this together. And as dysfunctional and crazy as we might be, we have to allow God the privilege of moving in our hearts. Consider what's being presented today. The most highest order for every Christian everywhere is bringing God glory. And it is more fully and radically accomplished through the body of Christ. I want to kind of show you a, a video to kind of give you maybe a sense of, of what this looks, what this could look like. Um, it, 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 you're going to have to kind of wait till the end of the video to really get the idea. But all this work and all this stuff goes into something. And um, it, it, there's this really neat show that I, I watch. It's called uh, World's Toughest Fixes. And they basically do crazy engineering feats. It blows my mind. It, it, it kind of gives me, a, I used to be an engineer, so I get to like kind of crawl in my little engineering world again and look at all these crazy things. And there's something that they did that blew my mind and it instantly made me think of the church. It instantly made me think this should be the church. So take a look at this video and I'm sure you're going to see what I'm talking about. Grab your sunglasses. I'm loving the solar stuff. On World's Toughest Fixes, we harness the sun. Oh, that is incredibly hot. It's two towers of blinding solar power, and it's about to go online. I bet we could really get a rocket. <laughs> okay, maybe I don't want to be here for that. All we got to do, lift 65 tons. The monster's coming. It won't tip over, but it will explode. <laughs> Suspended 160 feet. They're not falling over. Not yet. Not yet. That's good. They might. Above a field of mirrors. What could possibly go wrong? Game over. Let's go home. I'm done. Internal combustion and fossil fuels have ruled the road for the last 100 years. But we all know that's a dead end. If we're gonna keep riding down the highway, it'll be on bikes like this. Have a listen. That's right, no exhaust. This bike is battery powered. Even still, the power for this battery has to come from somewhere. 
Electricity may be the future of transportation, but to truly escape the cycle of fossil fuels, we'll need to find new ways of making that electricity that don't burn anything. That's what makes this fix so cool. Here in Lancaster, California, we're building a solar plant that could pave the way for future energy needs. To pull this fix off, we're gonna have to meld old technology with the new. We'll need to rebuild a relic, revolutionize software, and suspend two giant structures over a field of mirrors. We're gonna have to lift these over 100,000 pound boilers 160 feet up there. If we fail, there's gonna be way more than seven years of bad luck. Our fix will focus on three major components, the mirrors, the boilers, and the turbine. First, we'll suspend two massive receivers, or boilers, 160 feet atop two towers. Next, program four fields of 6,000 mirrors, 24,000 in all, precisely tracking the sun simultaneously, reflecting the sun's rays just right to heat the boilers and create massive amounts of steam. Okay, do you get it? Do you realize, now it led all the way up to the end, what they think is so cool about lifting tons and tons of metal onto a little pole, I think that's kind of cool. I think it blows my mind that they have to program, two, two, uh, what was it, 24,000 mirrors to simultaneously direct the sun's light into this thing so that it will boil over and it can create electricity. Now, every single one of those mirrors is on a slightly different angle. And as the sun comes over, it moves to continually reflect in one thing to bring every single part of those mirrors. Now, if one of those mirrors, if it was just one, imagine one mirror. Can you think of one mirror in that field? Be like, that's stupid. You just put a gigantic, whatever, 100,000 pound metal thing on a pole and it's this one little mirror that's reflecting this one little beam of light. Doesn't, doesn't do as much, right? I want you to think, we have to think past an individual re basis. We have to think past me. We have to think past I. We have to think past just my own life. We have to think I am part of something bigger than just me. And if I don't function within that realm, if I'm not part of that system, then I'm by myself and I'm not as strong as when I'm with them. I'm not as strong as when I'm with them. We have to understand that God has intended for you and me, for you and me, for you and me to reflect God's glory to our world. I want you to think of that boiler as our community. And every one of us is one of those mirrors. There's no possible way we could do what God has asked us to do if we all decide we're not willing to be programmed by what God has asked us to do and we want to do our own thing our own way at the own time. We have to believe that God has a real plan in store for us. And like I said in the beginning, I will go back to that God is revealed in me because the first place I have to start is in me. God has already revealed in me how I have decided upon myself to reprogram my, my, the way I want to reflect and the way I want to do things. And God has already began to do something in my heart. I want you to see in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, what Paul urges the church to do. 
I want you to actually grab your, your card. We're going to do, do something in a minute. But just kind of think, grab your card as I read this. Um, think about what this might mean for you. It says, therefore, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you, I want you to see this as me speaking to you. This is my heart to you. I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. You, have been, you haven't been called by the government. You haven't been called by your family. You haven't been called by your job, play, your, your workplace, your boss, your employer. You haven't been called by the state. You haven't been called by the world. You've been called by the creator of everything, God. You have been called. Always be humble and gentle. The word always gets me every time. <laughs> if only that word wasn't there. Be humble and gentle. Cool. I can do that once in a while when I'm up for it. But the word says always. So I have to ask myself, am I always humble and gentle? Am I always humble and gentle? Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Does my love, God has spoken this to my heart, does my love outweigh their faults? Or do their faults determine my amount of love? Do your faults, let me make it, do your faults, if your faults ever outweigh the love I have for you, that's not your fault, it's mine. If your faults and what you do wrong and your own idiosyncrasies and your, I I didn't call you idiots. You almost thought I was going to call you idiots there, didn't you? It's idiosyncrasies, that's different. So, um, but if ever there's something about you that overpowers my love for you, that's not your fault. God has called me to make allowances for that because you're different than me. You're going to see things different than me. You're going to do things a little differently than me, and that's cool. And the day I think it's not is the day that God can't use me. And so I want to confess to you that there are probably times that I have not done that. God has made it clear that I have to repent of that. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one... Now, ask yourself that. Am I more considered with peace or being right. Love when God does that kind of stuff. Am I more concerned with peace or with being right? Sometimes peace comes at the cost of being right. God has made this clear in my heart. There is, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called, one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is not us, it's Jesus, who is over all and in all and living through all. So I want you to take your card and I want you to do something. I want you to decide in your heart. This is personal between you and God. But I want you to decide. There should, be, there should have been one in everyone's chair. I want you to decide in your heart, are you willing to take the journey of letting God have enough of you, all of you, that you would be willing to let God shape you in a way that would bring us in a place that is closer, more compassionate, more caring, more gentle, more humble, more patient. Are you willing to let God make you more gentle? Are you willing? That's all I'm asking. Are you willing to let God make you more humble? Are you willing to let God make you more patient? 
I need, I need to let God change me. I can't think about everything else. I have to let God change me. I am who God can change. I cannot change others. I cannot change everyone. I can change me. And God has asked me to change me. So here's what I'm asking you to do. If that's something that you're willing to do, if you're willing to say, for the betterment of living word, for the betterment of this place, this local body, I want God to, I want God to do something miraculous. Do you have a pen for any chance? You're useless. Just kidding, you're not. Anyone got a pen? I'm going to be the first one. I'll be, thank you. I'll be the first one. I'm going to write my name first and last. That says, I am going to humble myself before God and let him use me in a way that maybe I'm uncomfortable with right now being used. I'm going to change in ways that I'm uncomfortable being changed in. That, I'm, uh, that I am going to allow God to do things in my life that I would rather put my, lock my heels in and say, I don't want you to do that because I'm right. I'm willing because I love you and because I love the glory of God needs to come through this. I can't stand in the way. And I dare even say that I can't stand in the way any longer. For whatever's stood in the way so far has got to die in me. And so I'm going to ask you, if you want to do that, if you want to be part of that, if you're willing to submit yourself to God and say, God, whatever it takes in me, I want you to do it for the betterment of this place. I want you to write your name on the card. And I simply want you to bring it up and just put it up here somewhere on this stage, anywhere you want. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you just to get up and do that. Consider for a moment, I'm just going to let these guys play. And... But I want you to consider. Now, there's only two reasons that anyone here today will decide not to respond. Number one, there's, there's two things. Number one, you won't believe that you're as bad as you think you are. That's where God did with me. That's, that was me. That was, that was me. God, I did not think I was as far away from doing what God had asked me to do and, and, and having a heart the same that God wanted me to have. And so I needed to repent. And, but you might think I'm not, I don't believe the part of the gospel that says I'm inherently evil. I, uh, therefore, I, I'm foolishly deceiving. You're foolishly deceiving yourself into thinking that you aren't in as much desperate need of saving as you might actually be. Or you don't believe the part of the gospel that says every drop of the Father's wrath was poured out upon Jesus. Every drop, I can come to God and I can repent and I can say, God, I have wronged you. And God has clearly stated that every bit of wrath that would have been poured out on me was poured out on God. And the only thing left for God to do with me is love me. The only thing left for God to do is love me when I pour my life out to Jesus and say, forgive me, heal me, help me. There is no wrath. There is nothing left in the cup. The cup that Jesus drank in the garden was the cup of God's wrath. And that cup is empty. It's gone. There is nothing left. For those of you that don't even know who Jesus is yet, for those of you in this room that maybe you're coming, this is your first time, and you've never really understood what the gospel message of Jesus means, it means that Jesus drank all your wrath that would have been poured out upon you upon death so that you could find life in Jesus today and eternity in heaven with him forever. There is nothing left in the cup. All God has is love for you. And that compassionate, loving, humble, meek, bold, radical God says, I will not use anything else but the collective people called the church. 
He refuses to use us on an individual basis. He chooses and dictates that he will use us as a corporate, on a corporate basis, on a collective basis. So I had to get real with myself and I had to say, I'm either going to partner with that or I'm going to say no. Like I said before, we're the only things that can say no. But with this comes a strong call. Because I had to realize that With this might come some, some conversations I might have to have with people who I've wronged. With this might have to come some vulnerability that I have to have with others that I've been haughty with and maybe arrogant with and God has revealed my ego. And I'm saying this to you on a vulnerable level because I don't think there's any room in the gospel. The gospel has already, because I believe in Jesus, the gospel shouts to you that I'm a fallen man. The day and the moment that I pretend that I can just stand before you and just give you a bunch of words and tell you that I've made it and hopefully you can catch up to where I am, that's dumb and bogus. The gospel, because I'm a Christian, I've already admitted I'm a faulty, fallen man and the only thing I have to rely on is the cross of Jesus. We are a collection of faulty people that God has asked to be forgiving and compassionate and humble and gentle. So if you're willing to, if you're willing to see this place grow and you're willing to partner with it and you're willing to be part of the process of bringing it to a place that God may be more and more and more honored, I want you to write your name on that card and just bring it forward and we're gonna take communion together and celebrate who Jesus is. But who could be the first one maybe to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. You guys can just come forward and put your cards on the... this is a beautiful beginning to something that could really make a difference in this place because I think the first step in bringing some bringing something like this to a new level is an individual repentance it's an individual understanding of where we where we stand and we're going to take communion if I can have our ushers come forward and we'll get ready for uh, communion communion is a really special time Jesus says to do it in remembrance of him to remember what he did the only reason we can even partner together and be called something like the body of Christ is because Jesus has done something miraculous and given us the ability to be called that. So as we sing this song, um, these guys are going to pass out the uh, elements for communion and you can hold off. We're going to take communion together, but you can just remain in your seat and just sing this song together as uh, a body of Christ as, it, as we pour out ourselves to God and just say, God, 
come into my life and do something unique, do something within me that transforms me from the inside out. My soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My soul longs, even faints for. The courts of the Lord, my soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Oh, my heart and flesh cry out for the.
my soul longs even faints for the courts of the Lord my soul longs even faints for the courts of the Lord you have before you some uh, emblems of Jesus' death and we have the bread that represents his broken body that he willingly broke, by the way. He did not uh, lose a bet or um, sign a contract that he had to fulfill even though he didn't want to. He willingly chose. He says that nobody takes my life. Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I am too powerful for anybody to ever even think that they could take my life. He says, I willingly lay it down for my friends. I willingly lay it down for my friends. Jesus willingly laid his life down. He willingly took the whip. He willingly was hung on the cross. He could have at any moment pulled himself down and wreaked havoc on those people. But he knew that something else was at stake. He knew something bigger was at stake and it's you and I. So as we take this, just remember, God willingly died for you. He didn't just die. He died willingly because he loves you. Let's pray for the, for the bread. Lord, your broken body means so much to us. We will never experience the brokenness that you felt. We will never experience the whips. We will never experience crown of thorns. We will never be mocked the way you were mocked. God, we owe you everything. So God, I pray that we would understand and it would cause us to have a new appreciation for you, God, to understand what it means that you willingly gave up your life and you willingly were beaten for us. Amen. Let's take the bread together. Not only was his body beaten, but his blood was spilt. The Bible is very clear that Jesus' blood is actually the agent that cleanses us. We are cleansed and wiped clean because the blood of Jesus is on us. In the beginning of my faith walk with Jesus, I didn't really understand what that meant. It was actually a little bit creepy because I'm thinking, why would I want that to happen? But the idea is that Jesus covers us. His, even his blood is powerful. Jesus spilt blood, real blood for you and I. And again, he did it willingly. Let's pray and thank God for his blood. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your blood, your sacrifice that was given to us freely and willingly. Help it right now, God, as we think about what we're doing, as we're remembering what you did, that it would transform another piece of us, God, that we would be, again, wowed by the fact that you willingly suffered for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake. All right. Now, before you guys leave today, I'm going to give you a challenge, as if you weren't challenged enough already. I want you to go home and if... If you're going home and you're on your ride and you're on your car ride home, I want you to begin to talk about and ask each other, I double dog dare you to ask the other person, what does God need to do in you to make living word even more healthy? What does God need? What does God reveal to you? Ask each other that question and don't let the other person off the hook. Say, if you put a card in the front, then say, what did God reveal to you? 
Start articulating these things in your own life. Start having powerful conversations, gospel-driven conversations. Don't let the talk stop here. Bring it out and start discussing it in your family. Ask each other. And then each day of the week, pray over it. Pray for each other so that next week, we're not trying to come back to where we just were, but the whole week was spent thinking about what God wants to do in our hearts, what God wants to do in this church, and what God wants to do in our community, that we would all reflect God's glory right out into Ontario as one gigantic beam of light that is strong and connected and mighty and compassionate and humble and gentle and everything that God wants us to be. One giant crazy beam that would blow the lid off of this place. I want you to ask each other, what does it look like for you as an individual to make this place collectively stronger? Let's just pray. God, do it in the way you need to do it in our hearts, I ask you. Humbly, I ask you, God, to do it in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Have a great day. Wear your bow ties next week. Even thanks for the courts of the Lord. My soul longs, even thanks for the courts of the Lord. My soul longs, even thanks for the courts of the my soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Oh, my heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Oh, my heart.
find satisfying you, Lord. And I would trade it all for one day in your courts. Lord, I am satisfied. Oh, I am satisfied in Satisfied, satisfied in you, Lord And I wouldn't trade it all For one day in your courts Lord, I am satisfied Oh, I am satisfied in you